0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. I think that people are invested in being a patient because they want to get better. But at times, the whole system says, okay, that's what you are. You are a patient.
0: From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patients. Think about this, being ill versus having an illness. Let that sink in. Today on the show, a peek into the fascinating world of psychiatric oncology with my friend, Dr. Guy Metall, Chief of Integrated Care and Assistant Professor of Medicine at Weill Cornell Graduate School of Medical Sciences. You know, I've often heard the phrase ambassadors of dignity when referring to the empathetic mental health professionals who not only listen to the lyrics, but hear our symphonies of grief, struggle, and challenge that we bring to bear when bad things happen to good people. Guy is one of those heroes, and it was a privilege to dive deep with him into conversations about how the word rehabilitation is making a comeback the sheer necessity of mental health care to lift people up, make sense of the madness, add a handrail to the staircase, and restore some of the missing parts when we're broken. We also talk about the fabulously insane world of medical reimbursements. Uh Uh-oh. I think I just went blind. Unlike quote-unquote normal procedures where you're poked and prodded, radiated, maybe stitched back up. Well, we hope that you're stitched back up. Mental health is the outlier tossed about as just a nice to have not okay enjoy the show
1: that's right you don't want to go for an hour then like there's no film in the camera right
0: that has happened we've learned our lesson this is like episode i think 56 of my show wow. so yeah you know you're benefiting from others losses aren't we all <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> Says the <You> know,
1: psychiatrist. <laughs> aren't we all? Well, you know, or in the world of cancer, right? Like cancer is this unique field in medicine where it is everywhere in medicine, we're benefiting as patients and providers and doctors from the experiences of our predecessors or from the mistakes made or the lessons learned or, you know, people participating in research. But in cancer in particular, you know most people in who are in treatment for cancer are often in some study right and it's, so it's very overt that yep i'm going to get treatment but i'm also directly contributing to future generations of patients
0: so for those just joining us i'm talking to guy <laughs> <laughs> guy <Mital. laughs> i love starting episodes in the middle of sentences i really yes. do it's it's actually a really great way to start a conversation yeah uh you are the uh chief of integrated care and psychiatric oncology. I love the two words put together. Assistant professor at Wild Cornell. And we yeah. met through a mutual young adult cancer survivor friend advocate. Shout out to Rebecca Cherry. And um first thing I want to ask you as we conduct this conversation is please don't analyze me. How's that
1: for a starter? No promises, but I'll do my best.
0: So I'd like to just start by, you know, for the listeners, Guy and I spoke a couple of weeks ago and got acquainted and, and I learned so much from him. I don't have a lot of, yes, I'm not a doctor, clearly, and and all of his views represent all of his clients. I'll let him debunk that at the end of the show. But psychiatric oncology is fascinating to me because it's. I think it's undiscovered. I think it's under-discussed. I think it's underutilized. But you brought up this, it's almost like a dogmatic statement of being ill versus having an illness. Is that a yeah. self-identifier? Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. So, just to, to to clear up the humor, my views are my own and don't represent those of my patients. <laughs> yes. Or or my organization. Yes. Um, no, one of the things. Uh, so, I appreciate the opportunity just to speak with you and your listeners about psychiatric oncology and psychiatry more broadly. And one of the things that I think about quite a bit is questions of meaning and illness and how those two interface and one of the challenges that people have you know it's in, in in mental illness in particular it's i think it's the worst people are identified as their disease so you know people say i am depressed she is bipolar right nobody says i am breast cancer <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh, right? right nobody nobody talks like that but the moment you are a thing then you're stuck right that's what you are you know like i'm a human. I'm never going to be a dog. It's just never going to happen in my lifetime, as far as I hope. But like, you know, once you say I am something versus I have something, then there's some space to play, to, to change, to improve, to distance. So I think about that quite a bit because I think when people are diagnosed with cancer, there's almost, it kind of takes over, doesn't it? just takes over your whole world appropriately in some cases and, and I would say ineffectively in other cases. I've never heard that
0: before in, in, yeah. in 25 years of whether I was a patient or an advocate yeah. or whatever, the idea of I am breast cancer versus I have breast cancer. And then the, I am ill versus I have an illness. I have an illness. Reminds yeah. me of the Colbert book or the John Stewart book. I am America. And so can you. Yes. <laughs> Just like you're, yes. you're changing the way we <laughs> think about words. Very Carlin of you. If I may,
1: uh, opine. So. Well, you know, we actually create with words. That's what we have as human beings. So the moment someone says to, you know, the other thing I say to people, um, well, before I go to the other thing about this issue, I think it's something that I've been thinking about for a number of years in my work. And I think it's overlooked. I think that people are invested in being patient because they want to get better. It's completely appropriate. But at times the whole system says, okay, that's what you are. You are a patient versus it's a job you've got. You didn't want it. You know, someone gets a diagnosis of a major medical illness who is unfamiliar with having illness. All of a sudden you've got a new job. You didn't ask for it. You're not going to get paid for it. You know, the only thing that's at stake is your life. Uh, that's a joke. Like, but, it's, uh, but you're working. This is the job. And I think it's a lot easier to deal with it when you remember it's not the totality of you. It's something you do. What
0: I'd like to learn from you, and I know my listeners, there's always this, you know, talk me out of the, I would say, the preconceptions of this battle between psychology and psychiatry. Is there one? Does it matter? Is there judgment and stigma? Why do both exist? How do you coexist? And where does this factor into the, you know, you mentioned this is a an experience you didn't want to buy into and now you can shop around for things to help you.
1: Yeah, so uh, there is no battle. That is, I, there's no battle. These right. are mutually... We've settled in, it, everyone. It's over. It. We're it's done. It's over. It's done. There's no battle. There. No, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> what there really is is a shortage of resources across the board for people who need them. The world of psycho-oncology, it's actually... Or psychiatric oncology or psychosocial oncology, the names are a little, there's there's this kind of slight variation depending on the institution that we're talking about. But fundamentally, it is a field that focuses on the psychosocial needs of patients and caregivers who are dealing with cancer or have dealt with cancer. And in the broadest possible sense, your feelings, your worries, your thoughts, um, the interpersonal issues you deal with, patient, you know, self-advocacy or advocating for your loved one. Um, and uh, we also work with, prov- you know, clinical providers, doctors, nurses, et cetera. One of the things that's really great about psycho-oncology in particular is that it's truly multidisciplinary. Like when I go to the psycho-oncology meeting each year, I mean, this year it's virtual, but uh, in past years and hopefully future years, uh, mds are in the minority there are psychologists there are social workers there are chaplains there are uh, psychiatrists there are other uh, other services other degrees you know physical and occupational therapists come by Palli- we interface with palliative medicine so it's especially around cancer it's very very tightly in- interdisciplinary because the needs vary now historically psychiatry and psychology kind of grew from different places. You know, Psychology came more out of what's called experimental psychology, out of a university setting. Psychiatry came more out of a clinical setting. They interface and interweave together. There are things that psychiatrists only can do most of the time in the world of addressing the medication needs and and some of the medical issues that come between psychological issues and physical issues. In the last 20 to 30 years, you know, the roles have gotten a bit more divergent, frankly, because of how the costs are reimbursed. You know, psychologists are trained in psychotherapy. Psychiatrists can be and many are trained in psychotherapy, but not necessarily. And they do more what I would call general psychiatry. I think it's a horrific term we call psychopharmacology. Too many syllables right there. Too many syllables. It's like, you don't go to the heart pill doctor. (laughs) Right? You go to the cardiologist. You talk about stuff and sometimes you talk about your kids and sometimes you talk about your heart and sometimes you talk about your poetic heart, right? Your physical heart, your poetic heart, and then you go home. I mean, some people, uh, I know people who have relationships with their cardiologists for 20 years. You don't... So... The fields you know in social work they they deal with more family systems, hospital systems, but many of them also do psychotherapy, so it's there's a lot of overlap in the field i want to do a
0: throwback if you would yeah, i want to please. do a throwback because back in i think nineteen eighty six or maybe ninety six yeah. there was a um some kind of spending package that went to the n c i or the n i h and they used yeah. the word rehabilitation for the first time related to oncology and that word's making a comeback now for some reason Mm. it was co-opted by opioids and drug abuse and the idea of being able to rehabilitate yourself to the extent that you're not maybe not the same whatever that new normal metaphor crap is i i look to um I mean, I was diagnosed in the in the Cenozoic era of 1996. Sure, but this sure. notion of <laughs> n- mental <laughs> so I, I, not Paleozoic. It was definitely the Cenozoic era. I'm sorry, okay, got you, yep, I got it. Yeah, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say that yesterday. It's in my mind as we record this yeah, today. Yeah, but the notion of like your mental acuity and your your mind body were not at yeah. the forefront. I don't. I, I forgive the 90s for being the 90s, but the very first time. I ever heard the idea that the practical, that's the word, the practical crap that you have to deal with when you get cancer mattered as much as the care you got blew my mind that someone had the balls to come forward. It was Livestrong actually that said, we're here to help you with all the practical shit. They didn't say shit. I said shit that you now have to deal with. And that included now mental health is, you know, it's a hashtag. It's a trend and we're fully aware of it now. But back then-
1: Huge, huge. And part of it is, you know, the stigma that goes along with being with uh, having an illness. Right. So like the, that you're supposed to be strong and tough and fight. I mean, all the military metaphors. I right, hate the, those. I hate those. The martial metaphors. Like, you know, I have patients that I speak to who really benefit from them. They appreciate them. They, it's good for them. Uh, I'm a big fan of finding the metaphor that works for you. So if the military metaphor works for you, great. But I think a lot of people feel trapped by it. They're like, and I really mean great if it works for you. And and if it doesn't, find something else. A lot of people say, I'm sitting in a chair getting chemotherapy. Where's the battle? The practical aspects of cancer for a lot of people, as you know, are what has it be so difficult because your life is upended in order to save your life. Like financially, it's a big hit for a lot of people. Opportunity costs. Of things you could be doing, or if you get it when you're young, there's career trajectories that get upended. There's savings for the future that gets delayed. There's uh, reproductive goals, you know, having kids or getting married. And having, all of that gets upended. If you're older and let's say you have kids or you have older folks in your life that you need to take care of, how do we do that and keep going to chemo and hold a job? And what if your job doesn't give you sick leave, by the way? A lot of people have jobs that are hourly workers. And if you need to, so I think all those practical aspects, let alone if you have some space just to pause and you go, holy cow, I'm facing this new illness and I know what it means for me, right? Those meaning issues. You can't even start to deal with those until you make sure there's food on your table to feed your kids. Back
0: with our guest. After the break.
1: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right.
0: You know, I talk about how 20 years later, we've revealed like an ebb tide, all the progress in medicine and awareness of when you were, I'll just say a consumer, I, you know, yeah. we talk about the the uh, idiom of patient, everyone's a patient, and when everyone's something, no one's something, and what does that mean? But yeah. <clears throat> did I just blow your psychiatric mind by saying that? Never yeah. mind, I yeah. digress. The yeah. The idea that you can now be, you know, at least maybe in some of the integrative cancer centers, we, we can sit a whole of the show about community centers and some of the gaps in funding and access to you know psychosocial support you know are we now in a place where we can actually quantify having these resources saves money has benefit, can be billable. You know, we talk about, you know, do you have to be a private practice? Are you incentivized to join a a health system, which you're a part of? Where do these services now that are non-biological, they're non-clinical, they're they're academic ish, but they don't talk about it's not the 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 chemotherapy, it's not the surgery. How do they factor in? Because there there are societies now, there's standards of care, there's guidelines, there's That's right. practices. That's right. Talk to me and tell our listeners your thoughts on where the progress has led for you to be a more effective practitioner in the space,
1: and where some of the, the holes in the dam still live? Yeah, so that's a great question. Thanks, Matthew. It's a, I, I'll tell you, there's been tremendous progress. I mean, I think that if you want to see where we were, there's a great— there's, it, it, was a, it was a stage play, and then they made it into a movie on HBO, I think it was. I don't really know. But it was with Emma Thompson. It was a movie called WIT, W I T, about an English professor who gets cancer and goes into a top notch cancer treatment center and her experiences and her own growth. And, you know, the, the doctors really didn't know how to talk to patients about anything beyond the science and how lonely and devastating it was. And that came out in the 90s. Your favorite decade, apparently. Um, Said no one ever. A, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, I think there is universal recognition across the field for the need for psychosocial support for patients and families. I mean, there's no, no one's fighting it. No one says this is stupid. No one says I don't do this. No, no one's saying that. Not that they ever really did, but they kind of, it was kind of subtly like that. Subtly sidestepped or we'll deal with it later or something. But now it is clear over the national, to get like designation as a National Cancer Institute designated cancer center, you need to demonstrate having sufficient psychosocial resources, like including psycho-oncology. Just, it just, it's a requirement. So that's tremendous progress because the national organizations, the national credentialing agencies are in the united i'm talking to the united states obviously i don't uh, i can't speak to other parts of the world there's clear recognition that this is requisite the question is how do you what does that look like on the ground and then how do you pay for it and those are bigger questions cuz every institution has to find a way to answer those questions for itself you know the the value add is always in the patient experience. Um, There is clear data that shows that people who have episodes of major depression, significant anxiety, or other untreated, typically pre-existing psychiatric conditions, do worse in terms of cancer treatment. They comply less. They just show up less, right? They aren't as engaged in treatment. So treating those clearly makes a difference. And yet that runs up right against the complex reimbursement issues that happen around mental health in this country. Wait, they're complex? To, they're complex. I had no idea. <laughs> I Well, you know, that's why you have me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> explain it to me, Doc. <laughs> oh, I wish I could. Uh, this I know. My, uh, you know, uh, it, it's uh, the simplest way, and this is, I'm not an expert in this, but the simplest way to explain it is medical reimbursement traditionally, actually it is changing but traditionally has been, as you know, fee for service. And what typically means by service is procedures get reimbursed more than things that are quote unquote not procedures, it means I don't like poke you, cut you, insert something in you like that. Like if, um, So mental health, mostly what we do is sit and we talk, and maybe some of us will prescribe things, but that is tremendously important. It's just not procedural in the traditional sense of the word procedure so it's uh, reimbursement is tough and institutions have to deal with now by the way mental health is not the only thing that has complicated reimbursements like genetic counseling um, palliative medicine fertility uh, fertility so things of that sort that that are essential in multiple aspects of working with people with cancer they're not reimbursed in this traditional model in in a way that makes them viable institutions understand this most institutions strive to kind of say we're going to Take money from this pot where we have more money and move it to this pot where we have less money and it 's a question of priorities and leadership and a desire to excel and the availability of people to actually do that work and every institution kind of figures it out on its own in different ways i 've done my homework on you don 't be scared
0: and again don't don 't analyze me, but I actually took a look at some of the research papers you published and To get very, very serious, which is rare here on Out of Patients, is you wrote a paper about suicide in family members and massive depression in oncology. Very important to talk about, you know, often a taboo subject. It makes people uncomfortable, but it does need to be had. And while I think we could do an entire separate show about this without diving too deep into it, what motivated you? to look into this and publish a paper about it?
1: I think the paper you're thinking about is the contingent suicide paper. Is yes. Is the one you're thinking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, almost everything that I've written has come from things that I've learned from patients. I mean, it is a bit of a cliche, but it is as true now as it was when I was in medical school, that they are, as a doctor, they're my greatest teachers. So, uh, you know, a contingent suicide means someone says... I'm going to kill myself when, or if this doesn't happen, I'm going to kill myself. Like, you know, or someone says, for example, someone says, after my loved one dies of cancer, I'm going to kill myself. Or someone says, um, if my pain doesn't get better, I'm going to kill myself. Things like that. And it's a very tough situation because it's heartbreaking. And the, the stuff that isn't said uh, from the clinicians, it can be very infuriating, you know, like because you feel, you know, nothing, there's nothing that there's nothing that it has like doctors, nurses, other medical providers uh, uh, feel worse than feeling helpless, right? Like we feel helpless when someone says, are you going to kill yourself? No, now, no. But when my mother dies, I might. And it's like, what do you do with that? They're not even your patient. They're a family member. It's like someone saying that to you on the subway with a little bit more of an intimate relationship. But it's not, there isn't an official kind of doctor-patient relationship. What do you do? And it's a it's kind of that help, it's that helpless moment. So that's why I did it. That's why I wrote about that and thought about it. And it's it is the place where. You get to be human with another human being with additional knowledge and responsibility as a doctor or as other caregiver. But you uh, be human and you listen and you listen to, you know, one of the things I, one of my mentors used to say, don't, don't just listen to the lyrics, listen to the music. Meaning whatever people say is what they say, but then listen to what's the music behind what they're saying.
0: There's also a fabulous quote. I forget who said it, but that music is the, m- music is actually the silence organized between the notes. Oh, wow. Did that blow, blow your mind? That. I'm here to blow your mind. It's blowing my mind multiple <laughs> times,
1: multiple times. No, it's, it's, it's great. You know, like oftentimes there's just, you know, I'm thinking of one example from some years ago of a mother who said, I'll kill myself after my son dies. Her son was dying of cancer. And Ultimately, the end of that story is she didn't, and it turned out fine, as fine as can be expected when uh, a mother loses a son. But it was such an expression of, I can't imagine life on earth without him. And when someone says something like that, like, I'll kill myself if and when my son dies, everyone feels awful. All All the medical providers feel awful. They don't know what to do. Do you send them to a psych unit? I mean, here she is. Her son's dying in the hospital. Do you you admit her? What do you do? And that's where psycho oncology can be very helpful because we have a little bit of distance from the situation and can listen to the music, not just the lyrics. Right. And say, oh, this is the best this particular mother has in the way of communication. All she can say, she can't say what I just said, which is, I can't imagine life on earth without him. Her heart is shattered. All she can say is, I'm going to kill myself when he dies. We take it very seriously. Obviously, we put in safety precautions, etc., and do the appropriate assessments along the way. We didn't send her to the psychiatric unit. We're like, we didn't. What are we going to do? Like, this mother is losing her son, and she'll be in a psychiatric. It didn't work from a human perspective, and we had to be responsible from the safety perspective. So, um, um, we were the interpreters of the music and. At the end, you know, after her son died, she noticed that she kept breathing because even though her mind couldn 't imagine life without him on earth, her body kept going, and then her mind caught up
0: that's you just know? i mean that that's hard, uncomfortable stuff to talk about i 've done many, many shows and i've i 've been part of many panels and talks about empathy in medicine, yeah. and this goes beyond the the apathetic German Freud Jung idea of actually mind melding in a sense with the experience of the other human being. How do you as a practicing psychiatrist, and maybe this is for not that I think my audience is a bunch of psychiatrists, but I do have a significant portion of my listeners work in the medical profession. Yeah. How do you carry that weight home with you at night? And what happens at three in the morning? Well,
1: hopefully I'm sleeping at 3 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Unless I'm up for some early morning hike, which I'm kidding. Um, It's a great question. Uh, There are a couple of things. First, just a shout out to like the Freud. Freud got this reputation as this cold, distant kind of Teutonic dude. If when you actually go back and read what he wrote, the man like was nothing but empathy. He was listening to people in a way that nobody had bothered. And somewhere down the line, he gets this cold, distant, you know, bespeckled Germanish characterization. Um, wait, wait, but, uh, wait, wait.
0: Are you uh, hold on? Hold on. Yeah. Here's yeah. the line. Are you telling me I've been defroided Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yes. yeah. But I'm bummed. Yeah
1: yeah so one way is humor by the way Yes. that's, an, that's one answer one humor is really important um, another way is engaging in my own uh, uh self care I think it's critical personal growth and development programs psychotherapy and exercise of various types and lastly you know this is there's a bit it'll sound weird um, it is a bit of a practice and i'm Often unsuccessful at it, but I'm sometimes successful at it, keeping in mind that whatever I hear during the day is not mine. I get to help, bear witness, support, collaborate with, but ultimately it is this person's. And that allows me, on better, on the good days, to say, when I'm, it's time to go home, to leave it wherever it is I'm coming from, because it's not mine. You know, I've got my own stuff to deal with, but like, (laughs) (laughs) FedEx, FedEx owes you that package. Where the hell is it? That's right. Um, No, it's, uh, but yeah, and it's, you know, empathy is, uh, uh, is a word that, as you probably know, M is a prefix that means with and pathos means sadness, but it's, so it's to be sad with, but it's not my sadness. And That allows me to be empathic, because once it's my sadness and I'm over here where I am dealing with my sadness, not contributing to your life in some way, shape, or form. You must be a doctor. That was pretty profound. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Med school done you well. But that's very serious. Thank you. I've been very fortunate. I've been very fortunate. I've heard
0: this phrase, this may not be something anyone's ever heard of, but the ambassadors of dignity... Are the yeah. people who surround our mental health when bad things happen to good people?
1: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think that uh, we could do a whole conversation just on the role of dignity.
0: Well, let's plan for that because I think that's, yeah. a, that's an episode deserved of being uh, created, and then we will not um, defroid anyone going forward. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I I had to. I'm really sorry. You know me. This was expected. I do. If I, I didn't, do. I can't disappoint you,
1: and I hope I, you I you second. psychoanalyzing and listen, me. I, I got I got to give you the the groan when you give a groaner. I mean, like that. Otherwise, you're just like you know, talking into an echo chamber. You need the feedback. That's why we have a dialogue. You're my kind of doc. Thank you, uh, Doctor yeah. Guy
0: Gaimetal, Chief of Integrated Care and a psychiatric oncologist and assistant professor at Weill Cornell Graduate School of Medical Sciences. More to come. Thank you so much for coming on Out of Patience.
1: My pleasure. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary.